morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and we're going to start things off with some breaking news. Breaking news out of the Ravenel area, where deputies say an armed man has barricaded himself inside a home for several hours. Our Lauren Quinlan joins us live at the scene. So, Lauren, we had crews there last night and overnight. What can you see out there this morning? Katie, since I've been here on scene, multiple share vehicles, marked and unmarked, have entered the property. Now, this is all happening off of Farmhouse Road in Ravenel, and this is the closest we can get. It is quite dark, but we do have some video to give you all a better look of what's going on. So what we know so far is that deputies received a report about a domestic disturbance involving a weapon last night at around 8.30. Officials say two people who were inside the home were able to get out, but deputies later learned that an armed man barricaded himself inside, refusing to come out. Deputies called in SWAT teams and crisis negotiators, and up until now, officials are still here on scene, continuing to try and gain contact with him. According to officials, they have had contact with the man on and off, but he still has refused to come out and surrender. Officials say no injuries have been reported, and there is no known threat to the neighboring homes in this area. We will be following this story throughout the morning, and we don't know how long this is expected to last. So stay with us. Live in Ravenel, Lauren Quinlan, Live 5 News. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast from the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Morning Y'all is sponsored by MUSC Health. Join a team that's changing what's possible. MUSC Health is hiring for all locations and various positions, including radiology, path and lab, maintenance, and a number of other professions. Find out more about the competitive pay rates and benefits or review a more comprehensive list of current openings at muschealth.org slash careers. MUSC Health, changing what's possible. It was on this date in 1492, at least according to the old style calendar, that Christopher Columbus arrived in the present day Bahamas. The first recorded U.S. celebration of Columbus Day was held on this date in 1792. Since 1937, the U.S. has celebrated Columbus Day on the second Monday in October. That was, of course, this past Monday. On this date in 1973, President Richard Nixon nominated House Minority Leader Gerald Ford to become the new vice president after the resignation of Spiro T. Agnew. Less than a year later, Nixon would resign in the Watergate scandal. Ford would become president to serve the remainder of Nixon's term. Now let's get your Wednesday forecast from the Live 5 First Alert Weather Center. Hey, good morning to you. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovan here as we get our Wednesday started. Slight chance of rain this morning. Carry the umbrellas just in case. Take them with you if you headed out for the day. Rain chance will increase this afternoon and into this evening. A mostly cloudy sky today. Highs in the upper 70s. Chance of rain continues to increase tonight. Showers and storms likely overnight. By the time we get into the day tomorrow, I think the rain chance starts to come back down. Still a couple of hit or miss showers, but tomorrow won't be terribly wet. Cold front comes through late in the day. Behind that, all sunshine for Friday and our weekend. Highs will be in the upper 70s to around 80 with morning lows in the 50s. And let's check in on your morning headlines. The Colleton County Sheriff and one of his deputies are facing a lawsuit after the deputy fatally shot a man during a welfare check in May. Those listed in the suit are Sheriff Buddy Hill, Deputy Jacob Scott, and the Colleton County Sheriff's Office. The case or the lawsuit was filed September 27th by the family of 55-year-old William Jerry Crosby. According to the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, Crosby died at the Colleton Medical Center on May 1st after being shot by Scott. 
The lawsuit alleges wrongful death and battery. Scott is facing allegations of unlawful entry and excessive force. After SLED investigated the incident, the agency determined there was insufficient evidence to charge Deputy Scott. A Charleston County man is facing a new charge after deputies say he hit and killed a pedestrian with his vehicle in August. 39-year-old William Grant is charged with reckless homicide for the August 7th crash that killed 18-year-old Samantha Hines. Deputies say Grant's vehicle crossed the median in opposite lanes of Highway 78 before hitting Hines. He was already facing other charges, including violating a beginner's permit and marijuana possession following the crash. Mount Pleasant police say they have arrested a man in connection to a vandalism case. We first brought you this story Monday when officials say 26-year-old Jackson Joseph Armstrong was charged with trespassing. Yesterday, police tell us they also officially connected him to a vandalism case where phrases and words and pictures were spray painted in red at the Mount Pleasant Waterfront Park and the Tides condos nearby. That's what you're looking at right now on your screen. Armstrong is expected to have a bond hearing scheduled for it later today. The United States Supreme Court has declined to take up an appeal from Dylan Roof after he challenged his death sentence and conviction. Roof was sentenced to death for killing nine people in 2015 at Mother Emanuel AME Church, a historically black church here in Charleston. Following a federal court conviction, Roof pleaded guilty in 2017 to state murder and attempted murder charges. He received nine consecutive life sentences and three consecutive 30-year sentences on those counts. Roof had asked the court to decide how to handle disputes over mental illness-related evidence between capital defendants and their attorneys. The justices did not comment in turning away the appeal. Small businesses that have applied for additional American Rescue Plan funding in Charleston County will soon receive awards of up to $25,000 each. Charleston County Council vote, voted unanimously on that last night. Charleston County's Housing and Neighborhood Revitalization Department has $2 million in American Rescue Plan funding to allocate to small mom-and-pop shops that were affected by the pandemic. To qualify, businesses had to provide a business license, tax returns, and be in good standing with the state. There are 11 businesses in Charleston County that will each receive allocated money ranging from $30 to almost $13,000. They can pretty much use it any way they want to. This is to compensate them for losses that they had that they sustained from having to shut down during the pandemic. So this is essentially replacing income that they lost. Um, there are no restrictions on how they can spend it. County officials say they'll be sending out information soon for businesses still seeking support. For nonprofits, the county also approved a similar grant award. Seven more qualified organizations will now receive additional American Rescue Plan funding for up to $50,000. Last night marked the only time the two women vying to hold South Carolina's second highest office met on the debate stage about two weeks before early voting opens across the state and four weeks ahead of Election Day. Republican incumbent Pamela Evett and Democratic challenger Tally Parham Casey are opposing each other for a job that's main purpose is to be able to step in if the governor can't serve. Evett, an upstate businesswoman and South Carolina's first female Republican lieutenant governor, is seeking to keep her job for another four years alongside Governor Henry McMaster. Casey, an attorney and the first ever female fighter pilot in the South Carolina Air National Guard, is on the ballot with former Democratic Congressman Joe Cunningham. 
The two women shared their goals for the limited power the lieutenant governor holds. I see the role as the lieutenant governor for me um, as the opportunity to be both an ambassador and an advocate. When third graders come through and walk, walk through the Capitol, I love that they see a woman in this position to let girls know that nothing holds them back. And in about two weeks is the only debate currently scheduled between the two candidates for governor McMaster and Cunningham. That's said for October 26th. Election day is coming up on November 8th. Well, y'all, it's time for funnel cake rides and fun because the South Carolina State Fair officially kicks off today in Columbia with more than 60 rides, circus at the fair, musical performances each night, and multiple art and flower exhibits. There's something to do for fairgoers of all ages. Some other activities include contests for homegrown produce, as well as Christmas trees and a scarecrow making contest. There will also be a petting zoo. And if you get hungry, this year, there will be more than 90 food stands, including fried cookie dough, donut burgers, corn dogs, and a wide variety of new food options. The fair runs today through Sunday, October 23rd. Leaders are looking to transform Burke High School into a magnet school. After saying it has too few students to provide opportunities equal to that of other CCSD schools. This year, the school has 334 students. That number was closer to 500 10 years ago. A member of the constituent board says they're recommending Burke be turned into a magnet school so students in the attendance zone can opt to go to other high schools. Right now, this is just a recommendation and no official proposal has gone before the full school board. South Carolina high school seniors have been given the chance to learn more about scholarship opportunities at one local university. South Carolina State University will be concluding its presidential scholarship bus tour this week. The bus has made its way around the state during the university's homecoming week, which ends tomorrow. The tour's purpose is to give high school seniors who rank in the top 10% of their class an opportunity to engage with the president of the university. Students will be able to learn more about SC State and the scholarship opportunities at the school. The bus will be on the university's campus outside the MLK Auditorium at 9 a.m. As flu season approaches, the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control is responding to vaccine shipment delays that have made it difficult for some families in the state to get flu shots for their children. As Nick Neville tells us, DHEC says these delays are due in part to the CDC halting shipments because of Hurricane Ian. Delays in pediatric flu shots are leaving many pediatricians and families frustrated. These are families who want their child to get the flu vaccine and they haven't had access to it yet. DX says there are two main reasons why VFC flu vaccines haven't reached many doctor's offices yet. To this point, the agency has only been receiving small amounts of the VFC flu vaccine, not enough to send to all providers. And to make matters worse, the CDC stalled vaccine shipments to the state due to the threat posed by Hurricane Ian. DHEC is, is aware that of the burden that it puts on providers when there are the delays, even though they're outside of our control, we certainly um, work with providers to, to mitigate the delays such as we've seen this year. To that end, pediatricians offices do have the option to borrow from the private stock of vaccines that they've purchased to use for the VFC program. But Dr. Deborah Greenhouse, a Columbia-based pediatrician tells me, It's a cumbersome process and a lot of pediatricians simply would not have the time or the staff to do it. DHEC says those shipments can't come soon enough as the rough flu season in Australia could be a sign of the winter ahead. 
we are concerned that this could be a uh, much worse flu season than what we've uh, been accustomed to the last couple of years. It is important for, for everyone to get their flu shot, um, especially for those who are immunocompromised or young children, babies, um, older adults, or people who live with folks that fit into one of those categories. Dr. Traxler says at this point there have not been any other significant delays in getting the flu vaccine out to providers or pharmacies. Some advocacy groups are expressing concern over plans for a new building across from the medical district in downtown Charleston. Today, the development will go before the city's Board of Architectural Review for the third time. Our Molly McBride joins us from the development site now. So Molly, you spoke to these advocacy groups. What were their concerns? Yeah, both the Preservation Society of Charleston and the Historic Charleston Foundation say they not only take issue with the design of the building itself, but the way the application process has been handled. There's a lot of development pressure on the peninsula right now, and we are seeing these larger, very boxy, massive buildings being constructed that really do obscure what is such a unique feature of our city. This is the third time the project at 295 Calhoun Street has been before the Board of Architectural Review. Last year, according to advocacy groups, the developers took legal action against the city after being denied several times by the board. Then they chose the route, which we don't, uh, we don't really appreciate, which is to sue the city and seek an out-of-court mediation. That case was dismissed, but today the plans are going before the board once again this time with two proposals. And Brian Turner with the Preservation Society says both are nearly identical and neither has the changes the Preservation Society was hoping for. So from a process perspective, this, this doesn't work. It should be a substantial redesign. The Director of Planning, Preservation and Sustainability, Robert Summerfield, says although unusual, they allowed both plans to go in front of the board because of the effort the city has exerted to work with the out-of-state developers who are flying in to attend the meeting. We've gone ahead and, and allowed the both applications to be submitted for this agenda. It's not something we encourage. In fact, we would actively discourage it in most cases. We received a statement from the representatives of the developers this morning who said in a statement that over the last year, their client has worked diligently with the city staff to have the development approved, making 40 changes from the original design. They also said their client has committed to improving the Alberta Long Lake and drainage issues in the area and are hopeful the board grants them approval at today's meeting. The advocacy, the advocacy groups are encouraging the public to attend today's meeting at 4.30. For more information about how you can attend, visit live5news.com and click on the story. Reporting live in Charleston, Molly McBride, Live 5 News. Celebrating birthdays today, broadcast journalist Chris Wallace is 75. Jazz musician Chris Bodie is 60. Actor Hugh Jackman is 54. Actor Kirk Cameron turns 52. And Olympic gold medal skier Bodie Miller is 45. Thank you for joining us for Morning Y'all. From Live 5 News, I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Morning Y'all. Produced every weekday morning and sponsored by MUSC Health. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen anytime at live5news.com slash podcasts. And download the free Live 5 News app for your mobile device for the latest local news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.